For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we, we just pause and bow our heads again and ask that you uh, would help us that as we see in these words, that it is your Holy Spirit who strengthens us to comprehend deep and wonderful truths about you. And so we, we cry out to you now that your Holy Spirit would take your word and change each one, one of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and, and let me say again, it is really good to have Spectrum and Pathfinders in with us. Every so often you're, you're, you're in for a Sunday with us. We, we think uh, that's, well, we believe that's good for all of us. It's good for us to have you here as part of the family. We trust it's good for you as you grow up in our church family, that you're just a part of, of life here. Uh, we trust that it will be a, the start of a lifelong uh, walk with the Lord Jesus and his people. And I know that some of you, I've seen Nick's just been going around with these handouts. Please just feel free to, to do that. Sounds like some of you are great note takers already, but those are always out on the door uh, there. And uh, maybe the adults, we might benefit from something like this uh, as well. So we'll look into that. But we're in the last in, in our summer series on prayer. Next Sunday for, for 10 weeks, we'll be back in um, John's Gospel, which we've been intermittently in. So we'll be back in John 8 uh, through to 12 through to November. So this week, if you're not sure of something to read in the Bible, why not have a read through uh, John chapter 8 ahead of uh, turning to that next Sunday. But this is the last in our summer series on, on prayer. And we've got this wonderful prayer of Paul's in front of us, a prayer uh, really that God would dwell in us, and we'll think about that as, as we go. But let's just start by, by thinking, uh, here's a picture, grand people. Grand people live in grand houses. Um, so it's obvious who lives here, let's say it together, just to know, know that we're awake. One, two, three, the queen lives there. So that's who lives there. Grand people live in grand houses, usually with long uh, drives, usually with gates, usually they're hidden away from people. That's what seems to happen. The more important and grand you are, the more you can build gates and long drives and you, you withdraw from people. Here's a question. Where does God live? Have a think about that for a second. Where does God live? Should we say it? One, two, three. Heaven. Yeah, heaven. Heaven. I heard a few heavens. That's right. It's, it's sort of a trick question. It's sort of a trick question. God, the Bible says, lives in heaven. That's where he, he dwells. And yet, just put your finger on verse 17, would you, of our reading. 1176. Just take a, take a finger and just pop it on there and follow with me. So that Christ may 
dwell in your hearts through faith. So it's true. God lives in heaven. That's where he dwells. And yet, we're also being told here that God in Christ, by his Spirit, dwells in the hearts of his people. That is the church. Church isn't the building. Church is the people. In other words, even though God is so grand and great, and he is, he doesn't stay behind the gate at the end of a long drive. Now, God wants to move in. God wants to move into the hearts of any with a humble heart and make his home there. And the question for us this morning is, do we want that? Do we want more of that? Do we like the sound of God making his home in our hearts, in our lives, more and more? Well, this is a prayer that is all about that. It's a prayer about God dwelling in his people. It's written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to a, a, a church in Ephesus. And we'll just look at the prayer in three parts. There's some headings up on the screen. And Paul prays three things. That Christ would dwell in their hearts so that they would know Christ's love and that God would be glorified. Let's look at those in, in turn then. First of all, Paul prays that Christ would dwell in their hearts. Let me read just uh, verses 14 and 15. Uh, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason. Now you'll notice we're jumping into the middle of a, a, a book, a letter. We don't normally do that. Normally we just read all of the way through, but occasionally we pick a theme and, and, and jump around a bit. And that's what we're doing this, uh, this summer. And so we're halfway through the letter and he says, for this reason. And we want to ask, well, for what reason? And so we're going to do a tiny bit of detective work. So turn back to chapter 3, verse uh, just the page before, chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, Paul says, um, just the page before, uh, for this reason, I, uh, Paul. And so we want to say again, uh, well, for what reason? <laughs> we haven't quite got the answer yet. And, uh, and actually the reason is, is in the end of chapter 2, just a bit before. We won't read it all, but in short, it's a bit saying that God has made two groups of people into one, into the church. You, you can see um, uh, that he refers, as, as you look further up, of the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, verse 11, the, the Gentiles, and then God's people, the, the, the Jewish nation as well. So he's made these two groups into one. They were enemies. They're now friends with God and with each other. And uh, Paul summarizes that bit in verse 22 of chapter 2. He says, in him, that's in God, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is making out of these two people who are enemies, one new people. And here's the thing. God is going to dwell in them together as one by his Spirit. And Paul says, for that reason, because you're being made into God's dwelling place, for that reason, and then he's about to launch into the prayer, 
But there's a little diversion at the start of chapter 3. We won't go through it now, but you can see that Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then chapter 3, verses 3 to, 3 to 13, is a, is a diversion of Paul by the Holy Spirit. He explains he's in prison because he stood up for this, this idea of God's, of God one new people. Paul stood up for that and people didn't like it and he ended up in prison. And so now he prays. Verse 14, for this reason, for this reason, because God is building one new people to live in, for this reason, I pray. I pray because this dwelling place of God, it matters. God wants to live in you and that is big. And so I pray, says Paul. And he prays, you notice verse 14, he prays down on his knees. He bows down on his knees, bowing the knee. It's not often used in the Bible. It's a good thing for us to do. It can be very helpful for us. But there is one occasion which may be in, in mind here back in the Old Testament where, where Solomon, we're told, prayed on his knees and he prayed as the temple, there's a picture of it, as the temple was commissioned and as God filled the temple which was his dwelling place in the Old Testament. The temple was his dwelling place. And we're told that, that Solomon bowed on his knees and prayed that the temple would be filled with God's Spirit. And you see, there may just be an echo of that in what Paul is writing. I, I bow my knees and I pray for, for the New Testament temple of God. Not for the old building, but I pray for the people, the people of God, that you may be filled and so he prays to God, the father of this new family. And now what is he praying? Well, verse 16. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we'll just pause there. At heart, it's a prayer for strength. Do you see that according to the riches of his glorious, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. That's the nub of the prayer. It's a prayer for strength and power. In fact, the idea of strength comes up in each of our sections. So in the next bit, we get, um, they, you may have strength, verse 18. Verse 20, we get according to the power. So it's a, it's a key idea in each section. And so Paul says that whatever is happening in life, however much our bodies weaken on the outside, Paul is praying that God's people would have inner strength, that they'd be strengthened to grow in health and maturity. And if we'd been reading the letter of Ephesians so far, we'd see that the power that he's talking about is the very same power that God used when he raised Jesus from the grave and seated him at his right hand in the throne of, of heaven. This is power at work in our lives. Uh, this power, we're, we're told, is not going to run out. It comes from the riches of God's glory. This power is applied to us by God's Spirit, by faith. So the question is, do we want more power? 
in our Christian lives. I've been scratching my head why, why it says that, that we need strength to, uh, uh, to comprehend God's, God's love, which we'll get to. Why strength? Why not humility or perception? Well, I wonder if it is just very simply that the, the, the thoughts that we have that don't line up with God seem to have such a stronghold on us that we need a new strength, the strength of God's Spirit to change our thinking. So do you feel you're lacking in inner energy, inner strength as a Christian? Do you feel power, powerless? Well, Paul knows. And God knows that that's what we're like. And that's why he's given us this prayer. Now, here's what he longs that God's power would do. Verse 17. I pray for this power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's a prayer that Christ would dwell in our hearts. In fact, all of the Trinity are involved in this. Father, Son, and Spirit. But just pause for a second and think about this. Paul is writing to, to Christians. In chapter 1, verse 1, he, he talks about them as saints. That's shorthand for Christians. And he's writing to Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them, because all Christians have the Holy Spirit in them. He says so in chapter 1, verse 13. He says they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Paul can't be asking that the Spirit would come to live in them for the first time. That's happened. And in fact, Paul doesn't use a word that means uh, arriving. He uses a, a different one, a stronger one, that means to, to settle down. To, to dwell, to, to take over. He, he knows that the more someone dwells in a home, the more they take over and place their influence on it. Just to make the point here, a couple of pictures. Here's the first one. This is a recreation of, of my living, our living room, my living room. In 2015, before I married Ruth and she moved in. Uh, you can... what it looked like. I was pretty happy with it. <laughs> Didn't know any different. Uh, I mean, I've removed the, the pizza boxes and all of that. But that's, 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 what, it was, that's what it was like. Uh, here's what it looks like now. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. The phrase, by the way, that I hadn't heard is soft furnishings. Have you heard that phrase? <laughs> I never knew these are soft furnishings. What are these soft furnishings? I mean, it turns out they're cushions and rugs and, and throws, and it just softens the place. It's just so much nicer, so much nicer. And the more that Ruth has, has, has dwelt, the more I've seen her, her good, in, good influence, the more I've, I've trusted her, the more I've said things like, do you know what, could you have a go at the bathroom as well? <laughs> and then, in fact, I said, just do what you want. Just do what you want. Uh, Pathfinders and Spectrum, you could ask your parents if there's been a similar experience in, in the transformation of, of that. The simple point, isn't it? The more someone dwell, dwells, not just moves in, but dwells, the more they have an influence on a place. And it's just the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. He finds us in a bad way. Spiritually speaking, he finds us in a bad way, lost rebels against God. He brings us to trust in him, and then by his Spirit, he sets to work. 
And as we look around the room, we can all of us have got stories who are Christians of how God found us, and by his dwelling in us, he has changed us and transformed us. Here's how one writer, Richard Koken, puts it. Room by room, the horrible old wallpapers of selfishness are replaced with a brand new wallpaper called love. The old ceilings darkened by fear of death are repainted with bright colors of hope in the resurrection of Christ. The rickety old furniture of idolatry is gradually replaced with sparkling new ministries that worship Jesus. See, Jesus longs to have his loving influence on more rooms of our homes, our houses, our our spiritual houses. It's like we sort of have got some keys in here. It's like we have keys to, to the different rooms of our house, you see. And here's a prayer that is praying that Jesus would dwell more. And the question is, have, have you let him have the key to, to the room of the house, uh, uh, the room in your house that is called work? D- does, he have the, does he have the key? Does he have access to come in and transform your online life? H- how about your relationships? How about your emotions? How about my school friends and how I relate to them tomorrow as I go back to school? Or my intellect or church life? You see, we've got rooms that we shut off from Jesus in our life that we won't let him into. And the question of this prayer is, is there, is there one that we need to hand over, that we know need, we need to hand over to him this week? Maybe we've never handed over our life to him. Well, we can trust that God is good. We really can. We can say, Jesus, I trust you. Come in and do you know what? Just, just do what you want. I trust you. So are you with Paul so far? Are you with Paul so far? He says, because God lives in you, I pray that Christ would have his influence over every room of your life, that he would dwell there. That's the first thing he prays for. The second thing he prays is that that they would know Christ's love. That they would know Christ's love. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and and grounded, anchored in the love of Christ, building their lives on on that. He wants them to be so sure that God loves them that they look around and see the, the dimensions of it. Possibly, again, he's thinking the dimensions of the temple. Like you might go for a tour of that or you might go for a tour of a cathedral or a stadium and you just go in and you're just blown away by the scale of it. That's what Paul is, is praying And he gives a very quick tour of God's love in verse 18. He he talks about the width or the breadth of God's love. That God's love can reach the furthest person, the, the person who is furthest away, who in our mind seems so far from God. God's love is wide and can reach them. It reached us. God's love is long. It's it's the length of God's love. It's a long-suffering love. It's a long-suffering love that endures over the years and will never run out, stretches into eternity. God's love is long. 
There's the height of God's love that he, he longs for us to see. How it towers above all of our fears and reassures us. How it will take us even to the heights of heaven. It's the height of God's love. And then there's the, then there's the depth of God's love. That it reaches us in our lowest moments. That it meets us in the depths of our own unworthiness. We sing wide, wide as the ocean, don't we? High as the heavens above. Deep. Deep as the deepest sea is my Savior's love. And Paul wants them to know this. He wants them to know this because they've just heard that God wants to change them. That was the first point. He's just said God wants to change you. And we might think that. We might hear that and think, you know, God will only love me if I change, if I'm making progress. Is his love conditional? And Paul says, no, I want you to be secure in Christ, in God's unconditional love and commitment. A few years ago, I heard an interview of uh, James Corden. You may know the the TV um, uh, and actor. Uh, I think it was on Radio 4 Desert Island Discs. And he spoke of growing up in a very loving family, a Christian family, I believe. And he spoke of a time when he was on the front page of all of the the media and the newspapers for all of the wrong reasons. He He was an absolute mess. And he went to see his parents and he just related. He said that they said to me, James, whatever happens to you out there, whatever is said of you out there, we will always love you. We will always back you. And he said that transformed his approach as he went back out into the world. He was able to face the media storm again. Because you see, unconditional love, it changes you when you're that secure. And Paul wants that for the Ephesians. And so he prays that they'd know, well, have a look, verse 19, that they'd know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's odd, isn't it? That they'd know what you can't really know. So they'd know what surpasses knowing. It's, it's, it's odd. Now he's not saying you can't know God at all. He's not saying God is somehow mystical, his love's just mystical, you can't, it's hidden, you can't know it. He's not saying that. No, we know God's love truly. It's been revealed. We see the type of the depth of love revealed in the cross of, of Jesus. We, we've heard about that at the start of Ephesians. Paul, Paul's laid that out. It, it's love for the undeserving. It's love for, for enemies, says Paul. It's grace, as he calls it in chapter 2. That's the type of God's love. There's nothing mystical or hidden uh, about that. In fact, he can write in, in, the, in the book of Romans that God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the type of love that it is. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't give my children for you and I, you know, we're friends. I wouldn't expect you to do the same for, for me. And yet Paul says that God's love was for us when we were enemies. He loved us when we despised him. When we hated him, that's very unusual love. It's truly love. 
And so don't you think that God must love us very, very much if he would crush his darling son to gain us? Have you ever thought about that? He loves us. He really does. We can know that truly. And so Paul prays that we'd know the love of Christ concretely revealed in history for us. But why he would act like that for you, for me, surpasses knowledge in a sense, doesn't it? Don't you find? It's kind of beyond us. Why would God love me like that? Why would he love you? Why would he love us like that? And Paul is really sort of stretching for language. He's saying, you can know the love truly, but you can't know everything about the depths of God's love. He's stretching for language. Maybe you, you know this book, or you've read this book recently, or to grandchildren. It's a beautiful book. Guess how much I love you. Do you remember this story? It's beautiful. And it's really a, a little a rabbit and, a, and a, they're just little nut brown hairs just asking, how, guess how much I love you, says big nut brown hair. And they go through. This is the pop-up version, so we don't quite know what's going to happen when we turn the page. But, um, you know, I love you as arms as my wide, as, as, sorry, as wide as my arms can go. I love you as high as I can reach. And oh, I love you all the way up to your toes. That's a good one there. And then they get they get to the end of the book and they're really stretching for language. And it says, I love you right up to the moon. And then Big Nut Brown Hair leans over and says, I love you right up to the moon and back. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just stretching for language. How do we begin to describe that sort of love? And if you were to play guess how much God loves you, with God we're not left guessing. We know God's love truly at the cross. And yet not exhaustively. We, we can't know it like we know the alphabet, like we sort of master it and tick it off. You can't measure God's love in buckets or in yards or in, or in miles. It's off the scale in that sense. You, you can't measure its dimensions. And that's really the point of what Paul is reaching for in his language. He's saying, I pray that you'd know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love that you and I for all eternity will, will enjoy and go deeper into, deeper into its depth and passion, its tenderness, its, its beauty. Deeper into the infinite love of the Father for the Son, as we heard in John 17, which is the love that the Father has for us, his people. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And Paul is praying that we'd, we'd go deeper and deeper into that, as we will for all eternity. But friends, what a difference this would make for us this week if we prayed this and knew more of God's love for us. What a difference it would make for you pathfinders and spectrum at school. If your schoolmates shut you out, you'd still know that God loves me. God loves me. And that gets me through. Others of us, we, we feel like we've, we've failed in life too many times. And the love of Christ reassures us that Jesus sees the worst of us and loves us anyway. Others of us wonder if God even notices us. And these verses say, yes, he does. He sees you, his dear child. He thinks about you all of the time. His love will never give up on you or turn cold on you. We don't live under his frown or his scowl but his warm, concerned smile for us. Paul is stretching for, for language. He's praying that we'd be filled with the fullness of God. 
to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of, of God. It's a phrase, by the way, he picks up on in chapter 4, verse 13, just across the page there. He's praying for the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a prayer for maturity. And here's something that struck me this week. Isn't it striking that one big mark of Christian maturity that Paul prays for is knowing that God loves us. That's a mark of maturity that he prays for. That God loves us. I wonder if we think that maybe that's just for children. That's a children's lesson that God loves you. We, we say it and then we move on. And Maybe we think that adult Christian maturity is, is you know, theological study or, or Bible knowledge or, or, or praying long prayers out loud. Good things, no doubt. But where does knowing the love of God feature for us in what Christian maturity is? On, on camp that we were on last week, um, there, was, there was a lad in particular who, who, was, who was crying one evening um, after one of the Bible studies. Um, there had been a lot of homesickness on the camp and, and we assumed that maybe it was that. But as someone talked to him, um, actually he said they were happy tears. And he said, I'm crying because I've realized how good God is to me. And I heard that and I I wondered. I wondered if all of my years as a Christian, for for all of my theological training, I heard that and I wondered, is that boy more mature than me? I wondered. Do you know God loves you? Do you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Do you want to know that more? Well, here's a prayer. Ask for it. Have you ever asked that you'd know the love of Christ more? Do you pray for that? If you want it, pray. We can't, I've just realized as I thought about it, I can't manufacture this in myself. Can you? Can you manufacture a depth of knowing God's love? I can't. It will take all of the strength of the Spirit to overpower all of the strongholds of our other thoughts. That's why he prays for strength. And so we pray, dear Jesus, I want to know your love more. And while we're praying that for ourselves, we pray it for others too. We pray it for the church. Paul says that we comprehend it with all the saints. So it's a prayer for our church. There's the second thing. Let's come to the last thing. In the prayer, Paul prays that God will be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. And so maybe already you've heard that inner voice that says, nah. Nah, God, God can't persuade me more of his love. He can't change me. He can't change other people. And the Holy Spirit knew that you'd think that and got in there first. And so he wrote verses 20 to 21 for you. And Paul wrote it. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So when we say, nah, God can't do that. Perhaps we ought to slow down, even repent. Because God says he can. The risen Jesus is unlimited in power. He can do far more than we ask or think. And so do we want to see our lives and situations changed by the love of God? Well, ask. 
he is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. In other words, our prayers, which feel so tiny, they come to the throne of Almighty God himself, who's doing a thousand more things through our tiny prayer, each prayer, than we ask or imagine. And so who knows what we'll discover in eternity and how he's used our prayers to change the direction of individuals and families and generations and neighborhoods and even nations. It's an exciting encouragement to keep praying, isn't it? To pray. To pray boldly too. And when everything is revealed at the end, Paul prays that the glory would go to God for he will have done it. Verse 21, to him. Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So so two groups in mind or two people. God will be glorified in, in the church, in his people. For they will be the, well they are the breathtaking masterpiece that we see in the book of Ephesians. Divided people, now one in Christ. And God will be glorified also. In Christ Jesus, for he is the Saviour King, and we will enjoy making much of him in all eternity. And one day, all of that will be revealed. In, uh, in 1675, I've got a picture here, um, the first stones were laid of St. Paul's Cathedral, and then the work, the work began in 1675. I've had to be a little bit... Uh, those are photos, obviously that's not 1675, but I have to be a little bit careful because I, I know of at least three people here who know a lot about St. Paul's, so I did, uh, I did ask a little bit before. But uh, it wasn't until 35 years later, in 1710, that the scaffolding was, was finally taken down, and in this next slide, the masterpiece, Christopher Wren's masterpiece was revealed, and rightly, he was glorified as its designer. And Paul knows, you see, as we come back to this prayer and finish it up. Paul knows that God is building a dwelling place in his people. Remember where we started? He's he's building a dwelling place in his people, not of bricks and stone, but of people. And so Paul prays. He prays that Jesus would dwell amongst us, that Jesus would have more of his influence upon our lives, that we'd be more fit for, for God's dwelling, especially in knowing his Love. And Paul prays it with the end in view that God will be glorified. Paul knows that one day, at at the end of time, our great God will, if you like, he'll pull down the scaffold of history. He'll pull down the scaffold of history and reveal what he's been doing in building the church. He'll reveal the beauty of his people, the breathtaking beauty of what he's done in his people. And he will give it as a gift to his son. And it will become clear on that day how all of the things that we've asked for and prayed were caught up in his great plan and taken further and deeper than we could ever have dared dream. And at that point, all of the glory will go to God. And at that point, God will fully and finally dwell among his people and fill us with the fullness of his love. And so... We pray. We keep praying. And this is a wonderful prayer for us to pray for ourselves, for one another, for our church in the year ahead. Why don't we adopt this prayer? I haven't, it's off the top of my head. Maybe we could adopt it more formally. Think about how we do this. But, but what a prayer for us as a church to pray in this year 
ahead. Let's be quiet. Let's just gather our thoughts, a moment of quiet. And just hold on to maybe one thing that the Lord has said to us. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Father, thank you for this prayer. We say to you that we do want to know your love uh, more. We say that we can't manufacture that by ourselves. And so we ask for the strength of your spirit that Christ might dwell in our hearts and transform us. We pray that for ourselves individually and for us as a church in Jesus' name. Amen.